All right, we are continuing our study today together of our book, The Garden of Eden to the Glory of Heaven, and we are in chapter 7, and we are dealing with the subject of the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. <clears throat> now, in our previous studies, we have seen that God made three promises to Abraham. He promised him the seed, he promised him the land, and he promised him the blessing. And these three promises were fulfilled twice. Once under the Old Covenant and once under the New Covenant. And so we see that under the Old Covenant, they were fulfilled literally. Under the New Covenant, they are also fulfilled. And they are fulfilled literally, but in a much greater way than we could ever possibly have uh, imagined uh, initially. Now, what I want you to do today is turn in your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 1. The Gospel of Luke chapter 1. We'll be looking at a number of passages today. We introduced this chapter last time, but I want to go back over some of the material and add something to it uh, this time in order to further cement this idea into our heads. And so we have this double fulfillment of the promises of the Abrahamic covenant. We have a limited fulfillment under the old covenant and the ultimate fulfillment under the new covenant. Uh, And we find that frequently in prophetic scriptures that there are double fulfillments of uh, passages. Now, in Luke chapter 1, Zacharias uh, has been told that he's going to have a son, uh, of course, who is John the Baptist. And uh, Zacharias is also here prophesying uh, regarding uh, the birth of his son. You remember he was uh, dumb, that is, he was unable to speak until John the Baptist was born, and uh, ultimately um, um, God uh, removed that dumbness and he was able to speak. Now, notice, if you will, Luke chapter 1 and verse uh, 64. Luke 1, 64. It says of Zacharias, And his mouth was opened immediately, and his tongue loosed, and he spake and praised God. And this is immediately after the birth of John the Baptist. And fear came on all that dwelt round about them. And all these sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. And they that heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child, speaking of John the Baptist, shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. <clears throat> now, here's our, our passage. It says, And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, So now he's giving an inspired prophetic utterance, and he's making some declarations under the inspiration of the Spirit. Notice what he says, verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore unto our father Abraham, that he would grant us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Now speaking to his son, John the Baptist, verse 76, he says, And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, speaking of Jesus, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins 
to the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high, that's Jesus, has visited us. What's he going to do? Give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. Now, let me ask you a question. Has the Abrahamic covenant prior to this time already been fulfilled? Well, the answer is clearly, yes, it has. Okay? The promise of the seed was fulfilled. God gave Abraham Isaac. Isaac had Jacob, and they had a bunch of children. Okay? Was the promise of the land fulfilled under the uh, old covenant prior to this time? Yes, it was. Joshua 21:43. The Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he swore unto their fathers to give unto them, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. Was the promise of the blessing fulfilled under the old covenant? Yes, it was. Abraham had salvation. He had a wife. He had wealth. He had power. He had children. Through him, blessing came. The children of Israel were protected in Egypt. They were delivered from slavery. They were sustained in the wilderness with men and water. They had military victories. They had material prosperity. They gained the land of Canaan. Uh, they were given the scriptures. And so... The Abrahamic covenant was completely fulfilled prior to this time. And yet, even though it had already been fulfilled, Zacharias says that the coming of John the Baptist, and in particular Jesus, is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. And so right here in the words of Zacharias, we have the declaration that though the seed was given, the seed has yet to be given. The seed was given and that Isaac was given, right? And Abraham became the father of many nations through uh, Ishmael and Esau and Jacob and uh, the, 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 the uh, sons of Keturah. Uh, and there was a, a, a number of nations that arose out of Abraham. And so the point is, is Zacharias saw the coming of Christ as the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. So the Abrahamic covenant was fulfilled in the Old Testament, and the Abrahamic covenant had yet to be fulfilled under the New Testament. And so what Zacharias is doing is he's looking forward to the birth of Jesus, which hadn't happened yet, was going to happen in three months. Okay, And he was saying, this is the fulfillment of the covenant that God made with our father Abraham. And so he says, verse 72, that God's purpose is to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. So the point is, is that we have not only an old covenant fulfillment, we have a new covenant fulfillment. And Zacharias declares that that new covenant fulfillment is beginning with the birth of Jesus, the giving of the seed that John the Baptist is going to proclaim. Now, <clears throat> he's also going to give um, <clears throat> the land and the blessing, and we're going to look at that down the road. <clears throat> but last time we began to talk about the new covenant fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. And we began to talk last time about the promised seed. And <clears throat> I want to talk about that a little bit more today. 
and go over some passages that we didn't do last week. And let's turn then to Galatians chapter 3. This is Kirk's chapter. He knows all the verses in it. And um, <clears throat> we're going to look at Galatians 3 uh, in verse 16. Galatians 3.16, <clears throat> where it says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds, plural, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So the seed of Abraham that was promised to Abraham was certainly Isaac. But it was more than Isaac. It was really the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So the seed little s is Isaac. The seed capital S, that's um, Jesus Okay, and so we're specifically told that um, uh, Abraham's seed was Christ, and Christ is the fulfillment of the promise of the seed uh, to Abraham. Uh, however, uh, the word seed uh, can be used in the singular, or it can be used in the plural, right? So if I say, I, 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 I sowed some seed in my lawn, what would you think? Well, you would think I sowed thousands of seeds, right? If I said <clears throat> I planted a, uh, um, a, a corn seed, you would think, well, you know, just one. Or if I planted a, uh, a pine seed, you wouldn't expect me to plant hundreds of them. You'd think I planted one or, or some kind of a seed of something that where you would just plant one. So the word seed can be either singular or plural. And so... The, the author takes up this, this uh, idea and he applies it in the singular to Christ, but then he applies it in the plural to um, all of Abraham's spiritual children. Because we know Abraham had two classes of children, right? He had genetic children and then he had spiritual children, some of whom were also genetic children. And the spiritual children were those who had the uh, circumcised heart that Abraham had and had the faith that Abraham had. Okay. So notice, if you will, Galatians 3 and verse 6. It says in Galatians 3, 6, Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, that's Genesis 15, 6, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children, or we could say the seed of Abraham. Um, now notice verse 8, in the scripture, seeing, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen, that's us, that's the non-genetic people who are not related genetically to Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In these shall all nations be blessed, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So, the children of Abraham, the seed of Abraham, are those who share the faith of Abraham. Now, the verse Kirk memorized, 329, you'll notice it says, And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. So the promise that God made to Abraham of a seed was fulfilled in Isaac under the Old Testament. It was fulfilled in Isaac's descendants, plural, under the Old Testament. 
It was also fulfilled under the New Testament in Jesus and in Jesus' descendants. And how did Jesus have children? Jesus had children by them being born again. And so Jesus had spiritual children. And if you have been born of Christ, who was born of Abraham, you're considered Abraham's seed, and thus heirs according to the promises made in the Abrahamic covenant. So Abraham's seed are those who share Abraham's circumcised heart and who share Abraham's faith, irrespective of their genetic background. Now, I want to look at a number of passages that enunciate this concept, and it's spoken over and over and over and over and over again in the New Testament. Because God wants us to get it that the nature of the nation of Israel has been transformed. Before the nation of Israel was defined by those who were genetic descendants of Abraham and were physically circumcised. And now the nature of the covenant community has been transformed. Now the covenant community is made up of those who are spiritual descendants of Abraham and who have Abraham's faith and Abraham's circumcised heart, irrespective of whether they're circumcised in the flesh or not, and irrespective of whether they have any genetic connection with Abraham or not. So let's turn to Romans chapter 2. The book of Romans, the second chapter. We're just going to survey through these passages. We're not going to spend a lot of time on them, but I want you to see the force of this new concept of who are the children of Abraham. Before, the children of Abraham were those who were his genetic descendants. And now the children of Abraham are those who share his faith and circumcised heart. Romans 2.25. It says, Romans 2.25, For circumcision verily profits if you keep the old covenant or the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Because what was circumcision? It was a sign of inclusion in the covenant. Well, if you didn't keep the terms of the covenant, then you were the same as a non-participant of the covenant. So he says, verse 26, therefore, if the circumcised, pardon me, therefore, if the uncircumcision, it's Gentiles, keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted as being the same as circumcision? Verse 27, and shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision doth transgress the law? Now here's our passage, verse 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly. Jewishness is no longer defined by external circumcision. That has passed. He is not a Jew which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. That mark that was in the flesh that was the mark of circumcision, no longer is the mark of circumcision. Notice verse 29. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter or in the flesh, 
whose praise is not of men, but of God. So now the whole emphasis under the new covenant has shifted from circumcision of the, of the flesh to circumcision of the heart, which is, of course, a synonym for regeneration. All right? So if you're regenerate, if you're born again, if um, uh, your heart of stone has been taken out and you've been given a heart of flesh, you are considered circumcised in heart. All right? So we see that the Jews now are defined not by genetic connection, but by regenerative likeness to Abraham. All right, Philippians chapter, well, we're in Romans, just to stay here. Let's go to chapter four. I'll just do my verses out of order here. Romans chapter four, since you're here. Notice verses 11 to 13, Romans 4, 11. It says of Abraham, Romans 4, 11, he received the sign of circumcision, in his body, physical, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised. So you could be uncircumcised, but by believing, you can have Abraham as your father. Result, Verse 11, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but also who walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had yet being uncircumcised. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, that is through physical external circumcision, but through the righteousness of faith. So the point is, in verse 13, it's saying that the, the, the seed of Abraham is not defined by, once again, the old term of circumcision of the flesh. It's now defined through those who share Abraham's faith. It's now through the righteousness of faith. So, when did Abraham become a Jew? Answer, before he was circumcised. He was saved in Genesis 15. He became circumcised in Genesis 17. And so the result is that his circumcision was uh, something that came to him after he became saved. And that's why we can become saved and not be circumcised and be connected to Abraham because we share what was really important, not the sign of the covenant, but the essence of it. And the essence of it was a regenerate heart where God would be our God and we would be his people. And how does that achieve? Not by putting a mark in your flesh, but by having a regenerate heart. Okay? Now let's turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3.1 says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Now, he uses a play on word here. He talks about the concision and he talks about the circumcision. The word concision means mutilator. Okay, he says, beware of the mutilators of the flesh. 
Now, it used to be that circumcision was something prescribed by God, and it was totally appropriate to do, and now he says those who insist on it are mere mutilators of the body. Notice verse 3. For we are the circumcision. And how are they defined? Which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, that is, in any mark that might be in their bodies. So now, the circumcised, that is, those who are the participants in the Abrahamic covenant, are marked, verse 3, by those who worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. Those who worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus do so because they have a circumcised heart. And thus, they are identified as the circumcised. So, everyone who is a true Christian has been circumcised. Not necessarily in their flesh, but they've all been circumcised in their hearts. 100% of them. And how do you know they have circumcision of heart? They worship God in the Spirit, and they rejoice in Christ Jesus. So, you don't look for circumcision of the body now. What you look for is circumcision of the heart. How are you going to see it? You're going to see it by the fruits it brings forth. Worship of God, rejoicing in Jesus. All right. First um, Corinthians chapter 7. Paul here is talking about... Um, the issue of marriage, but he makes this very interesting discursus in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 7. He says, Is any man called being circumcised, that is, in his body? Let him not become uncircumcised. Let him not try to have some sort of reversal operation. Is any called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Now, you could not have said that back in Genesis 17, could you? In Genesis 17, if you were not circumcised in the body, you were cut off and had no possibility of salvation. You were cut off from the Abrahamic covenant. It says in Genesis 17 specifically, and whosoever will not be circumcised in his body shall be cut off from among the people. And now Paul says, it's meaningless. Why? He says in verse 19, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but what is something is this, the keeping of the commandments of God. Now who's able to keep the commandments of God as the habit and characteristic of their life? Those with regenerate hearts. Those with the new nature. Those who delight in the law of God after the what? Inward man. Romans 7. They're the ones who are able to keep the law of God. And that's how you tell the difference between a believer and a non-believer. Believers as a dominating characteristic of their life. Obey the law of God. Hereby do we know that we know him. That we keep his commandments. He that saith I know him. And keepeth not his commandments. Is a liar. And the truth is not in him. So once again, we see the emphasis, not in the body, now in the heart. Galatians 5.
Once again, Paul is fighting the Judaizers who are saying, oh, you've got to be circumcised in the body and you've got to keep the old, old covenant. And he's saying in chapter 5, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage, which is the old covenant. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, if you're resting and relying in that, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, he's a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. You are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. That's how we get righteousness. How? By faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which works by love. So once again, Paul here declares circumcision doesn't amount to anything. What, what matters is, do you have the faith of Abraham? Do you have faith in the seed? Who is Jesus Christ? Verse 7, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion comes not of him that calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence of you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he shall be. And I, brethren, if I yet preached the necessity of circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution from the Jews? If I was preaching circumcision, he says, the offense of the cross would cease. Now he makes a very interesting statement here, verse 12. I would they were even cut off, which trouble you. Now it used to be you were cut off if you weren't circumcised. And now he's saying those who insist on it, they're the ones who need to be cut off. Notice the complete reversal. Verse 13, for you brethren have been called to liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Now turn over to chapter 6 of Galatians, verses 12 to 15. Galatians six twelve. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. The Jews persecuted anybody who denied the necessity of circumcision. Verse 13, For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. So on the one hand he says, what matters is the new creation. On the other hand, he says, what matters is faith. And you see, those who have the regenerate heart of Abraham and those who have the faith of Abraham, those are the children of Abraham. And the mark in your body is meaningless. It no longer is a sign of inclusion in the covenant community. Colossians 2. Colossians chapter 2. This is our last verse and then we're done. In Colossians 2, it says, beginning at verse 11, well, start out at verse 10, speaking of Jesus, Colossians 2.10, it says, and you are complete in Him, in Jesus, 
which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh, that is the old nature, by the circumcision which Christ performs, buried with him in baptism, wherein you were also risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who raised him from the dead. Verse 13, and you being dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. And he goes on. And so what he's saying is that every Christian is circumcised. They're just circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. That is a supernatural circumcision that Christ does in the heart. So, conclusion Every regenerate believer, every true Christian is a child of Abraham, is circumcised in heart, and shares the faith of Abraham. Only those who receive the seed of Abraham, namely Christ, are the seed of Abraham, namely his children. And so, if we don't get this transformation of the nature of, and make up of the covenant community under the new covenant versus the old covenant, we will never understand our Bibles. What we have is a transformation of the covenant community from being genetic descendants to being spiritual descendants, from being circumcised in the flesh to being circumcised in the heart, to obeying a set of rules, to exercising faith in the son of Abraham, Jesus Christ. And that's the transition, people, from the Old Covenant to the New. And we have to get that transition to understand the discontinuities. And that's why we don't admit anybody into the covenant community who doesn't have a regenerate heart and doesn't have faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we are a church made up only of believers. And that's why you have to have a profession of faith in Christ in order to be in the church. Otherwise, you're outside the church. Just like you used to have to have circumcision in the flesh to be in the church under the old covenant. And if you didn't, you weren't in the church. This is also the reason why we don't induct babies into the church. is because they uh, do not have regenerate hearts. They do not have faith in Christ. All right. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for... Uh, the wonderful uh, fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant under the new covenant. Thank you, Father, that the seed of Abraham is Jesus Christ and the seed of Abraham are those who have regenerate hearts and faith in Christ. And that genetic connection is now become a meaningless matter. And so therefore, Father, we pray that you might help us not to get tangled up in these uh, messianic Jewish Uh, Christian-type movements that would emphasize uh, the importance of uh, genetic descent from Abraham. Uh, Father, may we emphasize instead spiritual descent and identify his children under that rubric. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.